Household food insecurity is growing in Canada, and it's tightly linked to poorer health status. But what is it costing all of us in terms of the amount of health care spending it consumes? I'm Dr. Matthew Stanbrook, Deputy Editor for CMAJ, and today we're speaking with Valerie Tarasuk, Professor in the Department of Nutritional Sciences and cross-appointed to the Dalla School of Public Health at the University of Toronto. In a new CMAJ research article, Professor Tarasuk, with colleagues at the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto and the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, examined the association between income-related problems of food access and annual health care costs. Professor Tarasek, welcome. Thank you. Let me start by asking you to define for us, what do you mean by food insecurity? What we mean by food insecurity is basically inadequate or insecure access to food because of financial constraints. So people struggling to put food on the table for themselves and their families because of a lack of money. So how common a problem is this in Canada? How many households are affected nowadays? Well, sadly, this is way too common a problem. The most recent estimate we have of the prevalence of food insecurity in Canada comes from the 2012 Canadian Community Health Survey. And that year, 12.6% of Canadian households reported some level of food insecurity. We measure it at the level of household because that's how food is bought and shared typically. But if we translate that 12.6% into people, we're talking about more than 4 million Canadians living in a household in that year that were affected by some level of food insecurity. And everything we know about this problem would say that that 4 million, that's an underestimate because the Canadian Community Health Survey omits people on reserves and people who are literally homeless, you know, both groups that we know are extremely vulnerable to problems of food insecurity. So over 4 million Canadians, that's a huge societal problem, obviously. And, of course, other countries like Canada face similar issues with this. How has this problem evolved over time? Has it been increasing? If we compare the rates in Canada in 2012 to those in 2007, what we can see is a significant increase with more than half a million more Canadians living in food insecure households in 2012 and in 2007. So this is a big problem and every indication we have is that it's growing worse. And what's our understanding as to why? Why is it getting worse? Because we're not doing anything about it. When we look at who has the problem, people who are food insecure, as you'd expect, given the definition of the problem, are more likely to be people with low incomes. But we don't actually have any public policy in Canada that is directed at addressing this problem. So we've got a mixture of people on social assistance, people in the workforce, people on employment insurance, workers' compensation, some seniors that are struggling to put food on the table because of a lack of income. Now, we've known for some time that food insecurity can affect health. Tell us some of the specific health problems that have been documented in the past as being associated with food insecurity. Well, when we look cross-sectionally at Canadians living in food insecure situations, almost every health condition we look at is more prevalent amongst those in food insecure settings. So that ranges from physical to mental health problems. Um, there have been some very, very disturbing studies done with the National Longitudinal Survey of Children and Youth. So a longitudinal survey that um, measured very severe levels of food insecurity, but identified that children exposed to severe food insecurity 10 and 12 years later are more likely to have been diagnosed with a whole range of chronic health problems, things like asthma, depression. So it's, it's a spectrum. 
we also have a whole lot of literature now showing that um, people in food insecure situations, if they have a chronic condition, whether it's mental or physical, they're less able to manage it. So they're more likely to have complications and, and adverse disease outcomes as a result of being sick and in a food insecure setting. So it's a very, very broad spectrum. I mean, the early ideas about this condition was that, you know, because we're talking about food, it's got to be something that affects um, diet-related health conditions. So, you know, we're more likely to see higher rates of diabetes or cardiovascular disease. But once we opened up the window a little bit wider to look at other conditions, we can see that um, mental health conditions are very, very tightly tied with this problem, but so are other sorts of things like back problems, arthritis, asthma, I mean, a broad, broad spectrum. So I think what we're picking up is really the intertwining of health with problems of material deprivation. So it really affects health across the board. Okay, so yeah. let's come to your study now. You chose in this study to focus on health care costs as the consequence of food insecurity you wanted to examine. Tell us why this was an important outcome to focus on at this time. Well, there are two reasons for that. First of all, in terms of just expanding our knowledge about this problem, almost all of the literature on food insecurity and health is based on population surveys that have self-reports of health status. So looking at health care spending and health administrative data gave us an objective window into the health status of um, people in food insecure situations. So from that sense, it was a huge step forward to be able to do this study. The other reason, obviously, to be interested in health care costs is that this is the business case for intervening on food insecurity. What we're doing by looking at how much it's costing to have this large swath of Canadians living in food insecure situations from a health perspective is to say, you know, there is a cost to the current inaction around this problem. Tell us who you captured in your study and where you got the data from. Well, the data came from Ontario. We started with Ontario adults, working-aged adults, 18 to 64, who were respondents in the Canadian Community Health Survey over a series of years from 2005 to 2010. So we used the data from the Canadian Community Health Survey to identify household food security status. The data for Ontario has been linked to um, health administrative data that's housed in the Institute of Clinical and Evaluative Sciences. So we were very, very fortunate to be able to access that linked data. So we have information on the food security status of adults, and then we're looking at their health care utilization and resultant spending, health care costs, that are borne by the public purse, in this case the Ontario Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care, for that particular cohort. So our sample, we pulled a number of years, as I said, so our sample is almost 68,000 adults in Ontario. So it's a unique study in that we've got the ability in Ontario with through this wonderful mechanism of the Institute of Clinical and Evaluative Sciences to link the Canadian Community Health Survey measures to the healthcare spending. When you looked at those nearly 68,000 persons that you captured between 2005 and 2010, and you looked at the demographics, what did households with food insecurity look like? Were there any surprises in those numbers? Not really. I mean, the, the demographic pattern that we see there is the one that we've charted through the Canadian Community Health Survey. So it's higher rates amongst people who are low income, um, people on social assistance have much higher rates, people are, who are food insecure are more likely to be renting rather than owning their dwellings. So those kinds of patterns um, were apparent in this, in this data set as well. Let's come to your study's main finding. 
How much did food insecurity increase health care costs over one year? If we look at the most extreme case of people who were severely food insecure, their health care spending over that 12-month period was more than double the amount of Canadians or Ontarians in this case living in food secure situations. So we found a gradient whereby the more severe the food insecurity, the greater the excess health care spending to the point where amongst people who were severely food insecure, the um, differential was 121%. Wow. And just to be explicit about it, could it be possible that it's not food insecurity itself that's driving this, but just the fact that people with food insecurity are more likely to be poor or less educated or live in different types of housing? No, I don't think so. One of the things that we were able to do with the data that we had available to us is um, multivariate analysis to take into account the household um, incomes or the neighborhood income level, the education of the respondent, the household structure, um, the, the home ownership issues, a whole bunch of other variables that are well-documented determinants of health. And what we found is that independent of all of those things, so when I said that 121% differential between people in severely food insecure situations and those who are food secure, that's above and beyond the effects of their income, education, home ownership, and age, and other other factors. So that food insecurity has a profound independent effect on healthcare spending. Now, you conclude from all this that we need to address food insecurity in order to decrease these healthcare costs and obviously to improve health, which is even more important. But I noted that your study captured healthcare costs in the year prior to when people did the survey where they told you their, their food security status. Wouldn't it be just as fair to conclude from your study that we need to start by improving health in order to reduce food insecurity? Or in truth, do we really have to do both together? Do they not play off on one another? It's a question in our field as to the direction of these effects, but there is a rather large body of literature that this study sits upon the very, very high population prevalence of food insecurity that we're looking at now, I don't think can be attributed to health. The fact that we have a dose response here, whereby the more severe the food insecurity, the um, higher the healthcare utilization, I think it, it's consistent with research showing that food insecurity erodes health. And the fact that people who are food insecure have such a wide spectrum of health conditions makes sense, right? That what, to be food insecure and to be in poor health is to be less able to manage your health as well, right? It's, it's to have more health challenges and therefore more likely to experience disease complications. It's true that we need more research to nail down the pathways through which the higher healthcare spending that we've observed here occur, but the preponderance of the literature in, the, in this area would suggest that it's food insecurity that is driving our findings more than it is health driving the food insecurity results. I mean, another, another point in that direction is that when we can see evidence of interventions in Canada that have reduced food insecurity, and so we know that we can lower the severity of food insecurity amongst households by increasing their material circumstances, improving their material circumstances. So that also points to the idea that this finding around food insecurity is, is amenable to intervention at that level. And has anyone ever shown that by doing those interventions and reducing food insecurity, you, you improve the health outcomes of those people? 
that's the frontier for us, I think. So in addition to that important frontier for future research, let's talk about what we do about the food insecurity problem. I imagine a reader or listener might say, well, we're already addressing this problem, aren't we? I mean, we have food banks. We have these food drives that our kids participate in schools and that the public is called on to do at various times a year. Isn't that already addressing the problem? Why isn't that enough? It's not at all addressing the problem. The fact that we've got over 4 million Canadians living in food insecure situations and that our rate of food insecurity has risen significantly since 2007 when we, when we started doing this national monitoring, I think both of those points say to us that this problem is out of control. We cannot manage food insecurity through food charity. And that's been extensively documented. And it's something that people who run food banks tell us all the time, right? That the problem is bigger than them and that they can't cope with it. Many, many leaders in the food bank business in Canada are actively engaged in advocacy around social policy issues for exactly that reason. So I think that it's it's naive to think that we can manage this thing by, you know, putting a can of beans in a box in our local grocery store over Thanksgiving. The problem is very, very serious, and I think the research that we're reporting in this paper speaks more strongly, I think, to the seriousness of the problem, but it takes a serious intervention. I mean, if you just think of yourself and what it would take in your life for you to get to the point where you weren't able or you struggled to be able to put food on the table for yourself and your family, think of how many things would have had to fall apart for you to get to the point where you couldn't do that. That... That problem is big, and we're picking it up through people struggling to put food on the table. But by the time you're struggling to put food on the table, you're behind in your bill payments. You may be behind in your rent. You are struggling to pull together whatever work you can to keep money coming in. If you have health conditions, as you almost certainly do, and you have prescription drugs, you're unlikely to have coverage, and so you're probably having to debate filling prescriptions rather than buying food or buying things that you need for your family. I mean, the level of of compromise in the lives of these people is huge. And so for our single societal response to be donating to a food bank, of course it's not going to make any difference. Your findings about healthcare costs are new, but the problem of food insecurity is certainly not. We haven't solved this. As we've said already, it's getting worse. How might the findings of your study change that? What solutions do they point to? Well, I think this particular study points to the need for a solution. It doesn't point to a solution per se. It simply maps the fact that this is a very costly problem. And so... That's good because when we talk about solutions, the evidence points us towards talking about income-based solutions to deal with the extreme levels of deprivation at the very bottom of the economic spectrum. When we say that, people say, oh, but that's going to cost money. Where is that money going to come from? Well, what we've documented in this study is that we actually are spending quite a lot of money on this problem now through healthcare dollars. We would argue that the findings speak to the fact that interventions to address food insecurity have the potential to offset considerable spending in the healthcare system. So what would you have governments do at this time based on what we know? Well, what I would have them do is take a look at income transfers to those at the bottom end. One of the success stories that we have in Canada is Newfoundland and Labrador. In 2006, Newfoundland and Labrador launched a very aggressive poverty reduction strategy. And what we've seen in looking at the rates of food insecurity over the subsequent years is a profound drop. And when we look more particularly at one extremely vulnerable subgroup in that province, which was people on social assistance, 
those interventions cut the rate of food insecurity in half. Now, unfortunately, Newfoundland and Labrador don't have an Institute of Clinical and Evaluative Sciences, so we can't tease out the direct effects of that intervention on healthcare spending, and that's too bad. But everything we know from looking at the data in Ontario would suggest to us that healthcare dollars have to have diminished for those people on social assistance in that province over that period because the rates of food insecurity fell so much. What is your message for health professionals? What can we do, whether in our role as clinicians or as health advocates, to help improve food security and the related health consequences for Canadians? I think that physicians have a very, very important role to play in advocacy around policy interventions to address this problem. We do not have public policy right now that is targeted at reducing these rates of food insecurity. And in the absence of public policy, what we're seeing is rising rates. So I think recognizing the extraordinary toll that this problem is taking on health and healthcare spending, I think physicians have a really important role to play in advocating for um, deliberate, targeted public policy responses to this problem. Should we be screening patients to identify food insecurity and then providing some sort of intervention, do you think? It's a question that we hear all the time. And personally, I don't think physicians should start screening for food insecurity. And the reason I don't think they should is that I don't think we have anything to offer. You know, if, if we were in the United States and we were screening, then if someone hadn't already been signed up for the food stamp program there, they could get signed up. But in Canada, if you screen for food insecurity and you identify, as you very likely will, you know, 12% at least um, who are food insecure, then what do you have to offer? If they're on social assistance, you can perhaps help them to access some discretionary benefits, perhaps a dietary allowance, or if they're not already on disability allowances, maybe they can, you can help someone to qualify for that. And those are important things absolutely for a doctor to do. You know, someone who's food insecure is already probably aware of the community resources available to them, but every speck of evidence we've got would suggest that those resources are inadequate or to um, address the problem. So it's not really helpful to be making referrals to those sorts of services. So I would say, no, that the more important thing for physicians to do is to use this knowledge to advocate for a more effective solution so that there is something that if they identify someone who's struggling, they can refer them to. Right now, apart from the help that they can give people on social assistance, there's really very little they can do to change this problem. Professor Tarasek, it's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you very much for having it with us. Well, thank you for the opportunity. We've been speaking with Valerie Tarasak, professor in the Department of Nutritional Sciences at the University of Toronto. To read the research article she co-authored, as well as a link commentary by Seth Berkovitz and Gabriel Fabreau on the clinician's role in addressing food insecurity, visit cmaj.ca.